Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. And we'll get right into the teaching here. We're doing a verse by verse through Philippians, and it took us almost a year to get through chapter 1. Not really. It just took us a little bit. But that's all right, because um, truth is one stone at a time. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. And, um, you know, my background is, of course, charismatic, whatever you want to call it, Pentecostal, word of faith. Just throw something out there. It's there. Um, But what I've found is, is that um, even in the move of the Spirit and all those things, you have to have the Word of God in your life. I heard a minister's mother say it this one time, this way one time. She said, uh, when, when the Spirit of God's moving, she said, dance. She said, jump. She said, you know, run. Shout loud. She said, but when you leave the church service, walk straight. And that's what you have to do. So what I've found is through the years, and I haven't been around a long time, but enough to observe a few things. Um, churches that don't teach the word, but have a, what we might call a lot of the move of the spirit can end up real flaky and fleshy and goofy. Um, churches that all they do is ever teach and they don't allow the spirit of God, you know, he can't get his own foot in the door. Uh, they end up dry and crusty. So people say, well, what's the answer? The middle of the road, like always. <laughs> it's just always the middle of the road. I mean, in anything, it's always the middle of the road. You'll find that through the years, God will begin to emphasize uh, sometimes different offices in the body of Christ. Sometimes he'll emphasize different subjects in the word of God. And during those times, what I've seen happen is people will end up saying, this is it. This is the thing that the church needs, and whenever you hear that, you might as well just go ahead and put on the brakes, because there's a lot in the Word, and God, um, God will emphasize, and it can feel like that's the thing for that time, but, or, or for all time, but it's usually just an emphasis, and then God will move on. He will. Um, I know through the years, there's been the emphasis on a teacher, there's been an emphasis on pastors, there's been an emphasis on evangelists. There's been an emphasis recently on apostles and prophets. And so people will say, well, we get the apostles, once they get going, then that'll be the thing. No, it won't. It'll be a thing in the whole church. It will not be the thing. Because I don't see where the offices, as far as the fivefold ministry gifts as we know them, end. Until we are uh, caught up and Christ, you know what I mean, is returned. So those things are not going to change um, there'll be emphasis on things. And so what study verse by verse does and, and what they call expository teaching, what it does is it establishes truth in you. Even though teaching in and of itself can kind of be mundane. I mean, it's, it's easier for me to study to preach than it is to teach. Because it just requires, it's not as much uh, work as far as digging things out. But what I've found in my own life is, is that the more I study to teach, the extra stronger I get, spiritually. And I've had this happen to me recently, just a couple of times, uh, but I'd never had in this year, and I hadn't experienced it prior to this, 
but just a consciousness of the fact at times, just a more a greater awareness of the fact of the, of, of the strength of God within me versus my physical body. So Paul said it like this, what greater is he that is than he that is in the world? Is your flesh in the world? If you're not sure, come here, I'll pinch you. <laughs> okay, so your flesh is in the, but what I've been become more and more aware of is the ability of God within to control this, the natural. Now, you can use the word control in a lot of ways, but just you could narrow it down to, you know, how many ways does your flesh want to do something that you know as a, in yourself as a believer that you shouldn't do? But the, but the more you know, the more the Holy Spirit has to work with. And I don't care if that's in, a, in sharing your faith with somebody next to you uh, at the grocery store, at work, or your neighbor, or whatever, or if it's prophesying, or the gifts of the Spirit, or any of those things. The more, you, the more understanding you have from the Word of God that's enlightened by the Holy Spirit, the greater effect you will have in this natural, because you're stronger on the inside than you are on the outside. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, I'm 10,000 times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. And there are a whole lot of Christians that hear that and they go, what does that mean? But yet he's quoting a scripture, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so when you understand that, the temporal doesn't seem as important as the eternal. I should just say it this way, it's not seem, the temporal is not as important as the eternal. It's not even close. Do you know your salvation and going to heaven is more important than your retirement money? <laughs> Some people are like, I don't have any retirement money, so yeah, I'd say that. But, so that's not a challenge for you. But for those who do, <laughs> okay, because the temporal talks to you, but so does the spiritual. And we're so conditioned to the natural that it takes effort to be spiritually minded. It does not take much effort to be naturally minded. Any old dead fish can float downstream. Amen? You say, is that a verse? I don't know. But it sure makes spiritual sense. In other words, when, as you're reading through the epistles this year, as you're reading through your Bible reading, you're going to see that faith is not contagious, but fear is. That you don't have to resist good things. You have to resist evil things. Right? So teaching is important because it gives you a weapon to fight against your enemy who is coming against you. It's the flow of this world because the prince of the power of the air is working. And Satan is still the god of this world. So, all right. So let's let's. Uh, I just want to give you a little um, historical background again on Philippians. Um, it's if you want to know where it's positioned in Paul's missionary journeys, it's in his second missionary journey, and it's in Acts fifteen thirty six through sixteen twelve. If you read through through those uh, verses in those two chapters, you'll see how the church at Philippi was established, what took place, the miracles that took place to get it established, the persecutions that Paul went through to get it established. We know that Philippi was a, um, a Roman uh, a city, or um, I can't remember the exact word they used for it, 
but uh, it was a Rome. It was taken over by Rome, and it ended up being a retirement community for Roman soldiers. Is what actually ended up happening with it, and so it was a nice place, and it was in Macedonia in that area, and um, it was. Uh, it was a, there was a strong church there that Paul had planted, and we saw in the first chapter of uh, Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, that Paul was dealing with persecutions and issues in the church that were from outside the church. He was encouraging them uh, uh, to be strong, to continue in their faith, to contend for the faith, to um, continue to move forward. Um, in their faith and in their relationship with the Lord while also kind of explaining to them his position and where he was at, basically telling him, look, I'm okay. I'm under arrest here, but I'm okay. And one of the things that we saw in the first chapter was this, is that God actually expects you and your ministry, whatever that is, or and your, I could say, uh, 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 ministry to the world around you, and your personal relationship to continue to grow even in the midst of persecution. I'm curious. I was thinking about this today. How many people in, in, through this whole year and through the whole COVID and all this, all, all this other stuff that's gone on, how many Christians have actually grown spiritually? Or have they not been taught to apply the word to their situation? Have they actually strengthened through this? Because if they haven't, it's either because they've chosen not to or it's possible that they were um, emotionally ministered to instead of spiritually. Do you know there's a whole way, there's a way to, to in, the, in the emotion, the soul of a person, to get them stirred up in kind of a religious way, but never really help them? When you know the word and you apply the word, you're strong. Even in difficult situations, you're strong. It's not that you don't have emotion, so we're not talking about turning you into, you know, Spock. I'm emotionless. But what it is, is you control the external from the internal. Which includes your soul. Now, your spirit is the part of you that's born again, correct? And your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. So if you have your mind renewed to who you are in Christ, and that nature, that understanding of that nature has a stronger uh, presence in you than the carnal and the natural, you'll actually be able to go through things, and people will look at you and go, they're just, they don't have any emotion at all. And that's not the issue. The issue is, is that a person of faith understands that emotion and circumstance are temporal, but the things of God are eternal. And when you're living from an eternal foundation, it's impossible to move it. Because in order for you to move my salvation, you'd have to move Jesus. And I'd like to see you try. Because you're not going to. Now, you may be able to move my flesh and remove it from the earth, but you actually can never touch me because I'm a spirit. I possess a soul and I live in a body. And when you understand this truth and you understand the reality of who you are in Christ and the things that are taught in the epistles by Paul, by Peter, by John, the different ones that wrote 
it, it changes your perspective because you realize, I'm, this is the shortest thing I'm ever going to do. Is live inside this physical body which has, how many know it has an expiration date? It's like the milk in your fridge. <laughs> Sell by. Consume by. You know, it says on there, best by. <laughs> you know, there's, with you, same thing. As far as your physical body, there's a best buy on it. Use by this time or else. Yeah, it's going sour. Now, we can believe God and we can live long, satisfied lives, but what's 100 years? What's 80 years? What's 90 years? To eternity. Blink, and then it's over. Amen? And so, the reason why a lot of times people are weak in some of these areas is because they just refuse to think about it. And it's often because of fear. But if you're thinking in fear about something the word addresses, that means faith or the word has not been heard or put in you. Correct. In other words, I need to hear that word so that faith can be in me. And what we're seeing through this process is what Paul was, was, was saying in Philippians was, guys, look, the temporal is not the most important thing here. The eternal is. And we're going to see the eternal work in the temporal, but ultimately, I'm going to leave this earth and I'm going to go to heaven and there's a crown waiting for me. Which is another bold statement that you don't hear a lot of Christians say. What I hear believers sometimes say today is, man, I hope I go to heaven. You hope? I mean, I know I'm going to heaven. There's no question at all. So what do I know about that? What I know is, is you're not convinced, which means faith is not properly strengthened and deposited in your heart concerning your salvation, or as we might say, that you're saved by grace through faith. So that needs to be strengthened. Well, in every other area, it's the same. The one thing I love about Paul, and I am so impressed with him, uh, but only because I'm so impressed with Jesus who did what he did through him. Because, guys, listen, think about this. I get way too excited about this. Maybe not. I don't, probably don't get excited enough. The Lord's probably like, let's crank him up just a little bit more. Um. This is what excites me about this. If Jesus can do it in Paul, why am I not a candidate? Why are you not one? Now, I'm going to say something that is going to offend a religious mind, but I believe if you listen and if you apply it and look to the word and test it and see, you'll see it. Paul didn't write what he wrote to prove he was an apostle. Now, he wrote it from the office of the apostle. I understand that. I get that. I agree with that. But in his own writings, he wrote, I'm writing what I'm writing so that you can understand it and live in it. So if I'm not then it's on me, right? I have a decision to make. I got to go back and go, okay, Lord, you said I could do this by the Holy Spirit through these scriptures and live this way. So help me. 
It's the whole mentality of, Lord, here I am. So I don't actually believe most, uh, I, I, I actually believe this from the scriptures, and I believe it plays out even in experience as a, if you have a believer who's truly going after the Lord. You don't actually end the desires and the way of the flesh in your life in one day. You know, you get born again, and that's the end of it. And I believe that death of the believer, as far as putting the flesh under, is a progressive process. And it only happens to an appreciable or a large degree or to a mature level degree to those who give themselves wholly to it. Amen? And so, and you see this. So with Paul, this is what you don't see in Paul. And what you, what you realize, he's not concerned about the temporal or the natural things as much as he is growing up spiritually and accomplishing the call upon his life. Watch this. And the call upon his life was to help you and me grow up spiritually. So this is why Paul makes statements like this. I'm being poured out on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Hmm. Everything today that you hear in these areas, a lot of times is how can I get stronger faith? It isn't how can I be poured out so Shane can have stronger faith? Woo! How do you get to that point? There has to be a revelation of who you are in Christ. Now, you should want to have stronger faith, okay? And so should I. But if I'm really fellowshipping with Jesus... And I'm about to prove this in Philippians 2. If I'm really fellowshipping with him, I will see you the way he sees you. And what will I do? No greater love has anyone. Now this takes out, it gives a whole new meaning to what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a Christian. In other words, you become so empty of yourself and so full of the Lord, <laughs> you want to talk about miracles, signs, and wonders that God can do through a person who isn't, doesn't care about them. They recognize the fact that it's the Lord and not them at all. Because the tendency is to do what? The tendency is to worship a man or a woman, whatever it is, whoever the minister is. Oh, they're just so amazing. Are you sure it's them that's amazing? <laughs> or is it Christ in them? Okay? So, um, yeah, let's go to Philippians 2. And we're going to go down to uh, verse number 5 and start there, because otherwise, if I read the other ones, I'll preach them all. And you guys know that. <laughs> and so if you want to listen to them, you can go back and listen to them. They're all available, not on the website right now, but on the other avenues as far as YouTube and Vimeo and stuff like that. All right, so the first four verses of this chapter challenge us to walk in what Christ has provided in the new birth. As we move into verses 5 through 11, we see Jesus as our example in his humility, and this is what we're going to hit on tonight. This is about me being empty, you being empty, but being overly filled with the Lord, overflowing with the Lord, okay? Okay. And he says this, 
This is the example that is given for us to follow. So Jesus, he came as the Son of God, but he came as an example for us to follow, correct? In other words, I'll put it to you like this. He came as an example of what it looks like when heaven is deposited in a person and then they act out of that nature rather than the flesh nature. Jesus is the supreme example of a person who totally dominated his flesh by the Spirit of God. And that is the example for us. How many know Paul did not do that perfectly? I mean, Paul, I think, probably would have gotten more fistfights I mean, just by his natural nature before he was saved. He was so zealous and such a uh, kind of a fighter that he'd go to other cities to find Christians to beat them up and bring them, you know what I mean? So he was rough, right? And But yet in all of that, God totally changed his nature to where he stopped being a bruiser to where I'm going to lay down my life so that your faith can grow. This is powerful truth. And you're going to see something here. This is where high levels of faith are at, right here. So Paul said this, let this mind be in you, or exercise your mind toward this, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is verse number five, Philippians 2, 5. So we see here, Um, that Paul told the Philippian church, and the Lord is telling us through the same verses, that we're to exercise our mind toward the mind that Christ showed, okay? So Paul says this, he says, let this mind be in you. The phrase in the Greek carries this implication with it, to interest oneself in with concern or obedience. It means to exercise your mind toward something, to be mentally disposed earnestly in a certain direction, to set the affection on, to direct one's mind to a thing. That's what it means. And he says, let this, or direct your mind this way, direct it the way that Christ's mind was. So what does this tell me? This tells me that if I have to direct my mind this way, that it won't drift that way. Amen? So this is an exercise in discipline for the believer. Now, why is it important to do this? Because if I don't, I lock up the resurrection that's in me. If my thinking's wrong, the expression of the resurrection of Christ within me gets hindered. Why? When you're born again, do you get a new mind? You don't. Do you get a new body? I wish. I'd like, I'd answer the altar call every week. Yes, I'd like to receive. <laughs> get a new body every week, you know. Just, I wish it was that way. <laughs> you don't. What do you, you are, you get a brand new spirit. You get a God nature in you, the real you, your spirit man. From there, there needs to be a renewal of this and a crucifixion of this. And I'm going to say this, daily. Daily. Have you noticed that in Christianity, really, there's no neutral? You're either going forward or backward. There's no neutral. You're like, well, you know, I've kind of, I've come a long ways. I've probably sat down right here. 
That's when you need to go. Am I at the measure of the stature of Christ? And it will take all the, I need to sit down right here, out of you. <laughs> and it's not a condemnation thing, thing, guys. It's a conviction thing because of what's been deposited in you. It wouldn't be a big deal if, if you didn't have resurrection Holy Ghost power inside of you. Like I like what Andrew Womack says, one-third of you is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. Now, you say that and some people go, I don't know about that. Well, again, <laughs> that's why we're teaching. <laughs> you need to know about that because that's what gives you ability to control your emotion, to control your mind, to control and keep your body under. Amen? Amen. All right, so he says you need to put your mind in this direction in, uh, in uh, Philippians 2.5. Then let's, let's skip down to verse 6. It says this, who being in the form of God, now he's talking about Jesus here, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So being in the form, Jesus being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. How many have ever been confused about this verse? I've read this verse at times and I'm like, what? Why don't you just write it in English? You know? And so, but it's okay because I, I've, when you look it up and you start looking at things, you'll see why it was written the way it was, but then also get a greater understanding of it. So we are going to get into the selflessness of Jesus as the example for us to live by. So this verse begins a process of shifting to the life of Jesus as an example of the humility and the nature that we're to walk in, the pattern that we're to follow. And, G, and Paul uses this as the example to the Philippian church to say, hey, this is how you're supposed to live. Not because you're not doing it necessarily. I mean, they may not be doing it, but you need to think about it in terms like this. The reason why the Lord's saying it this way is simply because of this. It's your nature to live this way. If you're not living this way, it's because you're too carnal in your thinking. Your mind leans too much to how you feel. Too much to, you know, uh, Mark was talking about it uh, before worship. If you have to feel God to worship God, you're in trouble. Well, I'll put it to you like this. This may be nicer. <laughs> If you have to feel God, it means you're too conscious of your feelings and not who God is. Your, your thinking's off. Why not worship God when you don't feel Him until you do? That's a stronger act of faith because you didn't start in feeling. And I love all the feelings of God. I love them all. I just know we need to walk straight afterwards. All right? So he says this, who being, this phrase in here, who being in the form of God. The word form is the Greek word morphe, and it refers to possessing the essential attributes which belong to the essence or nature of God. So the word form is the Greek word morphe, and it refers to possessing the essential attributes which belong to the essence or nature of God. Christ was and is the essential nature and character of God. Christ is God. Come on. I mean, this is, this is basic. Who lives in you? 
Christ in you, the... Right, okay? So you're born again. You have the nature of God. Okay. Uh, Bob Yandian put it like this. In eternity past, as deity, Christ was always equal with the Father in his essence. All three members of the, of the Godhead are co-equal and co-eternal. They do not each possess a third of the love, power, and knowledge. You know, sometimes we get confused in our mind because we, do, we, we think so naturally and see things so naturally. So if I saw three people together, I don't sit there and think, oh, they're all exactly the same. We would think if they, even if they were functioning together, they would hold different attributes, you know what I mean? Like one had this ability, one had this, but they're co-equal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal. They don't separate out, you got a third of the love, you got a third of the love, and you got a third. You got a third of the power. Guys, we need two-thirds power. Where's the Holy Spirit? I need... <laughs> this, this demonic attack is going to win... <laughs> If I don't get another third over here of the Godhead, no, it's not like that. Amen? And some of these things are just going to be a mystery to us. This is until we get to heaven. They do not each possess a third of the love, power, and knowledge. Rather, all three possess the same full measure of these divine attributes. Thank God. Amen? So, that uh, gives you an understanding of the, that first part, being in the form of God. Second part of this verse, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. The NIV gives a clear picture of this verse. It says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now watch, listen closely. So as the life in the Spirit New Testament commentary says it, he laid aside his rights as God, not his deity, and did not champion them. This is about to get really good. You're going to love this. Instead of amassing and exercising his privileges, Jesus gave until he was empty. The solution to all unity problems is the adoption of the Christ mindset. Now watch. This is a powerful truth for us to realize. For ourselves and to grow in showing it to others. Jesus did not champion his rights. He championed ours. Come on. As deity, he had the right. And he said, nope. I'm going to use my right and empty myself of my privileges. Hold on to my deity and we're going to get into this and put on your humanity. Whoo! I got the bumps. All right. Jesus laid aside all his rights as God in order to offer us restored relationship with God. This verse makes it clear that even though Jesus possessed equality with the Father, he did not cling to it. He did not fight for himself, even though he had every reason to do so. He fought for me and you, even though he had every reason not to. Right? So how many of us were, like, you know, friends with God when he died for us? We were his... Yeah. I believe these types of verses express the highest levels of faith. It takes a strong, genuine faith in God to empty all of your rights and serve someone else. 
This is the example Jesus demonstrated to us. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. In the Amplified, it says this, but stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant or a slave in that he became like men and was born a human being. So what do we see in this? No reputation means to empty. This goes back to what we saw before. Jesus emptied himself of his rights, uh, the rights of his deeds, in order to take on the mission of the redemption of mankind. This means he took on the mindset of a servant to God and also the physical nature of humanity. So the complete Bible, uh, biblical library New Testament commentary says it this way, Jesus emptied himself of the expression of deity, not the possession of deity. So he took on the form of a bondservant. Jesus' emptying must be seen in the fact that God poured himself into the mold of a servant. Oh, I love this. The nature Christ chose to assume was that of a slave. He did not simply appear as a slave. He was very much a slave. Here we have one who was in very nature God taking on an additional nature, that of a servant. Isn't that interesting? I mean, not just interesting, but so powerful. This summarizes the twofold nature of the incarnation, what we just looked at in the birth of Jesus. Christ was at once fully God, yet fully human. Now watch, he still is. Which means you and I can go right to the Father because you're represented in front of him. Glory to God. I mean, what other deity does that? Only the one and true, the only God, Jesus, amen? He came in the likeness of men. That means he took on the form of men. To the extent of this act by Jesus will be fully understood in eternity. But think about the fact that he not only took on flesh to come to the earth, but he still has a body, only in glorified form. The same mindset is to be in us. We too can, can know we are unified uh, with God in light of the, same, of the new birth and its provisions, yet take on the form of a servant to meet the needs of others and bring them into the plan of God. The mission of the Lord Jesus on the earth becomes our mission. Just as Jesus was an ambassador for the Father, we too become ambassadors to do the will of God. This thinking is to control our individual and corporate lives in the church. Following Christ's example, we are to give our lives daily for those around us that we may bring them to heaven with us. So in other words, you can look at a person or you can be in a situation and go, Lord, I have rights here according to my covenant. Or you can say, Lord, I just lay aside my rights right now and I'm going to go ahead and give up your kingdom sacrificially to this person. Because that's what Jesus did. Now, does that take faith? Ooh, if I give you my place in line, then I have to believe God for, to get my place back. I have to believe God will take care of me. I mean, if it gets real bad, and there's only one roll of toilet paper left, <laughs> I want to see how many Christians are sowing the seed of toilet paper. They really believe that manna will come from heaven. All right. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he what? 
He didn't glorify himself. He humbled himself, watch this, and became obedient to the point of death. Which means, in my mind, there are points of obedience that aren't that far, but are still levels of obedience. But this is the highest level of obedience. Come on, I've been saying this for a while. I just saw it in this verse. I never saw it here, but martyrdom is the highest level of faith because you're giving everything. I could share a testimony with you right now that I just read recently that happened in 2015 of martyrdom. And it's intense. But these people love not their life even unto the death. In other words, there's, so, there's such an understanding of the eternal reality that the temporal realities are like, this is nothing to me. This is everything. And it's not, a, it's not a carelessness, you understand. It's not a lack of love. It's not a hardness. It's such a passion for the Lord Almighty that you're willing as an expression of your love to lay down everything for that purpose. Come on, some people are willing to lay down their lives for communism. And we have the highest thing to lay our lives down for in, in America as far as the church is concerned. And we fight to keep our little privileges or our little desires that we have rather than laying them aside for the purpose of the kingdom. Because that's the expression, the highest expression. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, look guys, treat each other this way. Live your life for the benefit of somebody else. And people go, well, I won't get mine. Not if you're in faith. You'll still get yours. Now, you may have to wait. But waiting is always good for your flesh. Now, your flesh is not going to tell you that. But I'm going to let you in on a secret. It's always good for your flesh to suffer. In that type of way. And really, it's for the sake of the gospel. It's suffering for Jesus. Because if I give something to somebody else and have to go, Lord, you know what? I trust you. I trust you, Lord. You'll take care of me. I'm just going to go ahead and not try and fight for my way here. Come on. He what? He humbled himself and became obedient to, the death, to, to death. Found, the word found, he found himself in appearance as a man, is describing the state or condition which a person or thing met with is found. So he found himself there. Jesus lowered himself to the level of, a man, of man when he was born into the earth. He was easily recognized as a man by those who met, he met. In other words, they didn't go, God's coming down the street. They're like, it's Jesus. Who's Jesus? He... He's the boy to Joseph and Mary. Some people say. <laughs> Doesn't really look like Joseph, though. You know, you know how many people today are the same as they were then? And then they're the same today. That conversation was going on. Oh, Mary, yeah. She, got, she gave birth to the Son of God. It's easy for us to look at that and believe now. Because we're not there. Yet even though he was a man, he was not a fallen man. 
He was God manifested in the flesh, John 1.14. He was a perfect man because of the virgin birth. How many know sins passed on through the male sperm? Do you know that? Because that's where the blood is. All right. He was born without the sinful nature of flesh. The sinful nature in the flesh. Okay? Because that's where it is. It's in there. He humbled himself and became obedient. The reason Jesus had to become a man was to die for the sins of the world. The penalty for sin is death. But as deity, he could not die. He had to overcome, uh, or he had to become a man to be subject to death. It was the one step, it was one step down to submit to become a man. It was another step down to submit to death, especially the cross. Jesus entered this world under submission to the law of Moses. How many know that's in Galatians 4.4? Which demanded a perfect life and death and then, the, and then death of the sinless substitute. We see that in Leviticus 1.3. His natural life was submission to an existence as a carpenter's son. He was betrayed for the price of a bond slave. 30 pieces of silver. Look up Exodus 21.32. You'll see it. That's the price that if, and what it actually says in there is if your male or female servant is gored by my ox and dies, then I owe you 30 pieces of silver for that slave. And that's what was traded for Jesus' life. Because Judas got what? 30 pieces of silver. He then humbled himself to die on the cross, a method of execution reserved for criminals from the lowest level of society. These are the types of people Jesus identified with in his death so they could be exalted into the throne room of God and be seated with God the Father as he himself was. Jesus not only demonstrated proper obedience, but through his obedience, he made available the power to obey for those who would believe. You want one more verse here? Should we do one more? Therefore, because of this, God also highly exalted him, lifted above and beyond him, and, it had, and, and, and has given him the name which is above every name. Philippians 2.9. Therefore, because he stooped so low, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name. As a result of the obedience to the plan of the Father, the Son possessed something he did not have before his incarnation. What did Jesus have after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension that he did not have before all that transpired? What did he take back to heaven that he did not have previously? His humanity has to be the only answer to these questions. He always was the son of God, but he, he was not a human until what? Incarnation. Something stands out very clear to me in this commentary. Jesus did not just take his humanity back to the Father. He took ours. He didn't just take himself back there. He took you and me. In God's mind, if you've received Christ, you're already there. Right? This is, this is the reality of what Paul understood. You're already there. Jesus' full obedience brought him to the very lowest place, right? Death, and even the death of the cross, right? Because of this obedience, though, God was able to, br to, to bring him or to exalt him to the very highest place. 
So in the kingdom, the way up is down. Sometimes people will do this. They'll go, well, you know, I'm, I've got a call, or I've got this, or I've got, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. The way up is down. Until you appreciate down, you won't be able to handle up. Until down has its place in, in actually... What it ends up doing is just beating the snot out of your flesh. But what did my brother say? Embrace the suck. You know what I mean? In other words, until you graduate boot camp, there is no general position. It doesn't happen. People go, well, I've watched people make it happen. And you watch them fall hard. Because anybody that makes their way without God building the house, you labored in vain. Now, you know what the interesting, and I'm going to stop there, but you know what the interesting, interesting thing about that to me is? Here's the interesting thing about that to me. It goes totally counter to the flow of the earth and to much of the flow and mindset of the church. The other side of it is the only way that you get to the place that God has for you is intimacy with the Father. And we've said this before. There are no shortcuts in spiritual growth. What I've found is it, you actually, you get to the place where God begins to, and some people talk about peeling onions. I don't know about any of that. But I know this. Unless I'm completely open with him. In other words, the people that I've seen through the years that have the closest relationship with the Lord are the most open with Him. They're the most vulnerable. Always. I can, you can spot a, a, a quoter a mile away. Somebody who knows the language. Somebody who knows the lingo. They know what to say at the right time. They know, what to, they know how to act in church. But you get them outside of church and they're a totally different person. Intimacy with God is, you can't fake it. You know it. You can sense it. Amen? And in order to live in some of these things, even in being able to serve others from a sincere, pure motive, not doing legalistic works, but doing it from a, like you actually looked at this person, prayed it through about them, and from the heart of God within you, you are motivated, not just in a work, but as an f- outflow of the resurrection within you to do something with, for them with the understanding that you are going to get absolutely nothing out of the deal. Now that is love. Come on. How many contracts did Jesus have signed before he went to the cross saying, yes, we will serve you if you die for us? But yet we do that. (laughs) This is amazing. See, there's only one way you can do this. You've got to know God. And knowing God is individual. Amen. The strongest places come out of death. It started that way. It'll end that way. Amen? It will. But greater is He 
who's in us and he who's in the world. Let's stand. You can feel the intensity of that, can't you? <laughs> I, looking at some, now here's the thing about this. The thing about this is, I'm not able to accomplish this in my ability. I'm only able to accomplish it in his. So if you start looking at you, go thinking, I got to somehow come up with this. You never will. You've got to yield to him. And if I do that, if you do that, imagine what kind of church you have. Just a whole bunch of disciples running around doing what God told them to do every day. We are going to mess the devil, devil's world up. No wonder he likes to kill Christian flesh. Because it just ruins his day. It just stops all his global plans. We're just like mud to him. How much mud is in, in Billings? You know, there's a lot there. We should go somewhere else for now. In other words, we are the resisting force to him. And until we're taken out of the way, <laughs> tough. <laughs> it's tough to kill a person that one isn't afraid to die and, one can't, and the other, he, they can't die. And that's you. People say, oh no, you're, you just said we could die. No, your flesh will die. It's just your shell. Think of it as the pup tent. It's just you got it set up for a little while, but you'll be, you're going to get rid of it anyway. You'll like the upgraded version. It has all the bells and whistles, including being able to walk through walls. Endless travel. No, no vehicles needed. Just show up, boom, boom, boom. It's so much better. Better air conditioning. Okay, anyway. So everything is better. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.